It's the bottom line. On News Radio 610, KONA, from the Tri Cities to Olympia to DC, we break down. Break it all down. The stories of the day and the people making the news. And that's the bottom line. Time to get the bottom line. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. With your hosts, Rob Francis and Ed Dawson. It is the bottom line. Friday afternoon, News Radio 610 KONA. Our phone number 547-1610. You can reach us via email. 610KONA.com. Bottom line page. Your name, where you're listening. What you'd like to say. We're on Twitter as well at Bottom Line 610. On Parlor, the Bottom Line 610. And... You can also reach us via our free mobile app on Google Play and the Apple Stores. Rob Francis, Ed Dawson. It is Friday in Portland. That just means day 54 of protests, riots, fires, hell breaking loose. 18 people uh, were arrested and uh, charged, made their initial court appearance in federal court for various and sundry charges pertaining to uh, the rioting and uh, destruction of property at the federal courthouse. Um, And uh, all 18 were released, which is what you call due process. The very thing that some people were yelling about that Trump was, uh, you know, plucking people off the the streets of of Portland without due process. Well, no, they were arrested and charged in federal court and uh and were released and if they don't show up for a a court hearing in a later date, then they'll go after them again, I suppose. But now the sh- the scene shifts though, Rob, to Seattle. This weekend, there is a big whatever (laughs) planned. Mm. And I say whatever because, you know, is it going to be a peaceful protest that turns into a riot? Is it just going to be a riot? Uh, I don't know. But there will be there will be a gathering, uh, which is actually in violation of the governor's orders. But that's another story. Um, There'll be a gathering in Seattle. The. Federal troops have already notified the city of Seattle and its police department that they are there. They're on the outskirts. And if they feel the need to go into the city, they will uh, to protect, you know, federal places. So, of course, Jenny Durkin, the mayor of Seattle, says, nah, nah, we're good. We, we got it taken care of. All taken care of. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I have a feeling that you're going to see video uh, of people being plucked out of the streets of Seattle over the weekend, much like you did in Portland. Um, that's just my two cents. But uh, that's where we're at with with that whole mess. It's going to be a very interesting weekend. And it's going to be an interesting weekend for this debate over whether or not 
the federal government has the ability to insert itself in these situations. Now, it seems that the reasons given line up with what the federal government has the ability to do, to go in and protect federal property. Yeah. That is not being protected, by the way, by the local jurisdictions. Um, in fact, yesterday, a member of the Portland City Council wanted the police department to be put under her purview to prevent police from even interacting with rioters. Now, of course, that would be if Ted Wheeler actually allowed the police to get involved with protesters himself, which we haven't seen a whole heck of a lot of that. But as we've continued to see what's happened in Portland and Seattle, and we continue to see at the end of the byline, no arrests were made by local officials. They are in and of itself not fulfilling the duties of their office. Their job is to make sure that the residents and communities are safe. Their job is to protect the residents, businesses, and property that is in their jurisdiction. And they have failed miserably in that job. So you could call it a dereliction of duty. You might even be able to call it impeachable offenses. Offenses that open them up for the ability to be recalled. Because when you allow this to happen, you prevent law enforcement from doing what it from doing its job. You are intentionally opening an avenue for these individuals to do what they have been doing. And at some point in time, something's going to break. Either the you're going to see counter-riots where people that live there have had enough, and, and or you're going to see the federal government go into its bag of tricks and begin to make declarations based on... Because, look, if you're looking at what's happening in Portland right now, how close to martial law are you? Because the only time that you put martial law into place is when the lawlessness of the situation overtakes and overwhelms the ability of the local authorities to handle it. Does that mean that they have to be so overwhelmed that they can't keep up? Or what if it is willingness by the local authorities to not do anything about it? Does that qualify? Yeah, I don't know. I think that's a that's a good question because, you know, look, I, I it's clearly in both Seattle and Portland's case, it's not law enforcement that's saying, we don't want to deal with this. It's not that at all. It's the electeds that are saying stand down and the police being forced to stand down. I want to kind of take it down this path. And we want to open up the phones to 547-1610. What, if any, lasting effects will this have on the city of Seattle and or on the city of Portland? And by that, I mean, both have gotten a pretty bad black eye this summer of love, right? 
Um, is it something that they can recover from uh, quickly or over time? I mean, I've seen reports. I haven't been able to verify any of this, but I see reports that uh, people are supposedly leaving the city of Seattle, selling their home and moving outside of the city limits uh, because of, well, not just this, but all the taxation and the move to the far left and and things like that. So I don't know if that's really going on uh, and if that's really the motivation, but it, you reach a certain point and, you know, you get enough people that leave, then what? You know, you get businesses that want to leave, you get residents that want to leave. And yeah, I know right now the response is, ah, good riddance, we don't need you anyway. Does this have a long-lasting effect? 5471610 is the number. We'll get back with those calls. You can email us too after this. Give us your bottom line. Call 509-547-1610. Now, back to the show. Presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610-KONA. 547-1610 is the number if you would like to get involved. So, you know, as we discuss the coming weekend, as we discuss what's happened over the last few days in the Northwest, where does the responsibility lie? I mean, think about this for a second. Where does the responsibility lie? You've got situations around the country, all right? The latest one that's starting to see some chest puffing is in Philadelphia, where the uh, Soros-backed district attorney, Larry Krasner, has said that I'll arrest federal officers if they come in. Well, good luck with that, Larry. Uh, Nice posturing, sunshine, but um, I don't think you can arrest federal officers on federal property. I'm just going to throw that one out there. Um, You know, you've got the destruction of property. You've got lawsuits pending against the city of Seattle from what happened with the autonomous zone. You've got 54 days of protests, riots in Portland. And at some point in time, the question has to be asked, who bears the responsibility for this? Now, the first thing you're going to need, jerk, is the responsibility falls on the people that are committing the acts. And yes, ultimately it does. They are, they are the ones that are uh, throwing incendiary devices. They are the ones that are creating the havoc, setting things on fire, so on and so forth. They're choosing to do those They are choosing to commit those actions. No one is forcing them to do so. That's right. No one forces someone to commit violence unless their life is on the line. And I'm sorry, but hanging out on a Portland street at 11 o'clock at night throwing frozen water bottles at law enforcement is not your life on the line. Self-defense isn't going to work in that case. No, you are making the choice to act that way. But when do you progress to the next level? When do you progress to the next level of those that are in charge of keeping the peace, allowing this to happen and continue and go on? And for what reasons? Now, obviously, we know that the ideology is aligned and that 
any public servant who truly did have an interest in serving said public would be doing everything they could to minimize the damage to individuals, the damage to businesses, the damage to property. They would be doing everything they possibly could. But we are not seeing that. We're not seeing that. And by the way, yesterday, too, you know, apparently Jenny Durkin and Jay Inslee got so lost in the celebration of the Seattle Kraken that they forgot to mention anything about what happened in Seattle the day before. We got an email from uh, Jim and Pasco. Jim writes, we stopped going to Seahawk and Mariner games al- along with concerts in Seattle two years ago. Outside of required business, I won't go to either Seattle or Portland. I'm 100% lockstep. I, I, gosh, the last time I went to Seattle, ooh. When was Chuck Knox put in the Ring of Honor? Oh, man, a while ago. That is, I think that's the last time. That might have been the last time I went to Seattle. Yeah, really? It was either the la- either that was either the last time or uh, 2009 when the Phillies and Mariners played a series out there on the weekend, and I went for the weekend series. So that's 11 years ago. Yeah, that was 11 years ago. I have no need of reason to go there. I mean, yeah, going to a game was, was neat. Going to a game was fun. Um, but I have had no need or reason to go there. And, yeah, a lot of it has to do with the climate. I don't want to be around it. I don't. Don't it's not something that I would dig. I, the vibe doesn't go with me, um, so I don't go. And then you take what's happened, what's built over the last few years. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to. I, I don't really want to smell the city. <laughs> okay. um, you know the, you know all of those, all of the bodily fluids that permeate the sidewalks. Not really my thing either. Uh, because that again goes to the goes to the point of if your job as an elected official is to protect and preserve the people, the property, the businesses, you're not doing that if it smells like an outhouse. Yeah, not by choice anyway. I mean, like the emailer wrote, you know, aside from uh, you know business trips where you have to go to. To those places, but I, you know, I'm just talking about leisurely trips, you know, three day weekends or family outings, and you know, look at my family. We we take a lot of those types of little family trips, or you know, we did before this year anyway. Um, and both Seattle and Portland are destination spots. You know, they have a lot of fun things for kids, and you know. It's it's a neat place to be, but I to, even if the let's just say that that COVID wasn't a consideration right now, and we could freely move about. Uh, I still know, wouldn't go. I, I not this year. No, and, and you know what bothers no way. me. But 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 here's the other thing that bugs me too, is two years ago when they announced that this hockey team was going to come into play, I looked at my wife. And I said, we have a reason to go back to Seattle. Yeah. I said, we're going to go. We'll try to see what we can do to get tickets. We'll go to the first because she's a Kings fan. Oh, okay. I'm a Flyers fan. Right. We'll, whichever one we can get tickets for, 
We'll see if we can go to you know one game this year against the Kings or the Flyers, and then next year we'll see if we can get one of the other ones. And she's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Okay, That was two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago, still had an open idea about wanting to go to Seattle for sure. something. Nah, I, you couldn't pay me now. As much as I am so stoked about this hockey team, yes. you can't pay me to go to anything in Seattle right now. The only thing I can... I'm with you 100%. And, and I've... It it actually pains me because, you know, I've lived a long time in the Northwest and Seattle has kind of always been the place for me. And uh, not that I necessarily wanted to go live and work there, but I really, really liked the fact that it was just a few hours away. And, you know, I just I, I liked a lot of things about it. Uh, not so much Portland, but, you know, whatever. But now, I mean, look, unless there is a major shift in the next year plus before, you know, the, the hockey team or, you know, something like that. I don't, I, I, I don't feel safe taking my family over there in the, in the climate that either of those cities provides. I don't care if you're talking about daytime or nighttime. And I've already shared stories about our last venture into Portland and this was a couple of years ago, way before what was going on now. Now it's exponentially worse. We we were going to go to a football game the other year. I was going to take my wife for her birthday because her team was playing in Seattle. And she talked to a few friends that aren't Seahawks fans about going and everything else. And she said, well, it depends. They said, well, it depends on you sit. But the higher up you sit, the worse it is if you're wearing another team's jersey. And they started telling stories about getting beer dumped on them and different stuff like that and so on and so forth. And I looked at her and I said bring enough for bail money because if anybody pours beer on you i'm probably going to go to jail <laughs> you're up on the bottom line news radio 610 kona what's your name where are you calling from hey this is mike from pasco what's up mike hey you know i, I don't blame you guys for not wanting to go to seattle i wouldn't go over there for anything now um I'm looking at sports and the sad situation of sports in this country. Mm -hmm. We now have um, different slogans and logos and things that, and music that's being played at the NFL games. You know what? I just this year quit being an NFL fan. I'm just, I'm tired of it. Um, But one thing I will say, you know, you guys are pretty hard on Governor Inslee. When you think about it, he's number one in the nation. And you want to know why? I would love to know why, Mike. Governor Inslee was the first one to be voted off the island in the presidential candidate race. (laughs) I mean, he he was gone. He, He never even got his head above water. He never made a showing. So he's number one. Thanks for the call, Mike. Appreciate it. Did did the governor ever get to one percent? I think there was a poll or two that had him at one. Yeah, it was a poll until he got to one percent. Mm-hmm. So that would make him a one percenter. <laughs> I know. Thinking back, you almost wish that he would have done better for a little bit longer. That way, he wouldn't be meddling in our affairs. You know, Mike is right about something else. We have been a little bit hard on the governor. I mean, after all, the governor did say when he was first elected back in 2012 that he would not sign one bill that had a tax increase. He was right. He signed multiple bills that had tax increases. 
Join the show. Call the LegendsCasino.com hotline, 509-547-1610. Back to the bottom line with Robin Ed, presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Back at the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. If you're getting ready to hit the road, tell you what, make sure you take your car by and see your good friends at Perfection Tire. They've got four locations here in the Tri-Cities to serve you. They have been treating their customers like family for generations here in the Tri-Cities. Whether it's brakes, tires, belts, hoses, batteries, shocks, and more on top of that, they do it all. Their name says it best, Perfection Tire. Visit them at PerfectionTire.com or call one of their four local stores. We got some breaking news, Rob. A federal judge has just denied a restraining order that Oregon's attorney general was seeking to restrict the federal officers in Portland, uh, finding that the state of Oregon lacked legal standing. So there you have it. A federal judge says that the federal police can protect federal buildings. Yeah, that's common sense. Oh, something that the Oregon Attorney General wasn't using. Going to the phones and joining us on the program, our good friend from the Washington Policy Center, Jason Mercier, how are you, sir? Staying safe and healthy, I hope? I am staying safe and healthy, and I think I'm going to do something that a little bit unusual. I'm going to start with some good news before we get to the normal state update. Are you ready? Can you handle good news? Well, I, I don't know. We had, down. we had good news yesterday with the Kraken. What do you got for us? All right, so good news number one. The NFL season is a go. The Players Union just agreed to the NFL safety procedures, so it's game on. And good news number two, it is July 24th, and the Mariners are tied for first place. <laughs> actually, actually, they're, they're, I believe they're, they might be, well, I don't know what the result of the Dodgers game was last night, but uh, they're either a half a game back or a half a game, uh, or a half a game up, aren't they? Oh, no, that's right. They did decide to break them out into two instead of having three divisions of ten. Yeah. So they are going to be in their own division. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. The Mariners are is tied this like first. the latest that they've been in first place in about a couple decades? You know, usually about this time of year, you're already looking forward to the Seahawks season. So the Mariners are still in play. Very good. Oh, absolutely. I thought you were going to tell us that Jay Inslee did some soul searching and decided to resign, but you have to have a soul to do that. Um, So, Jason, let's talk a little bit about some of the things that are on the horizon, uh, particularly as the governor continues to refuse calls for a special session. We know that the deficit is looming, and we also know the governor, under state law, has a responsibility to address this issue. Uh, where do we stand on the governor's addressing of the issue, and do we believe he's actually going to do it in accordance with the law? Yeah, so there are two options under the law uh, when cash deficit is forecast. And a cash deficit is a little bit different than a budget deficit, because that basically means if you take the beginning fund balance in all your expected costs, you have a, a cash deficit. You can technically have a budget deficit but still have cash in the bank, which is why those are different. But if a cash deficit is forecasted, the governor, under the law, is required to order across-the-board cuts unless the legislature has given him different directions. And that law basically is to incentivize a special session because across-the-board cuts are a very blunt instrument it doesn't allow any type of prioritization, any discretion. 
it's just something that is done with a heavy hand to try to bring the state's budget into balance. You'd prefer to have the people's legislative branch sitting down together, taking public comment and figuring out a way to have a more surgical response. But to this point, the governor has refused to call a special session. And as you can tell, he hasn't issued those across the board cuts. And I'm trying to figure out why. I've been trying for over a month to get a very simple yes or no question answered from the governor's office and the budget office. And that is, is a cash deficit forecasted? And I cannot get a reply. So now I'm resorting to public records requests to try to get that question answered. Most people would probably guess that since numbers have been put out there in the public, that yes, there is a deficit that's being forecast based on the lack of revenue coming in. And usually, Jason, that deficit is it's, it's they come to the or come to the realization of that deficit based on spending versus actual revenue coming in. Yeah, if you look at the four-year outlook that came out of the most recent revenue forecast, that general fund estimate, when you include the beginning fund and the estimated cost, is up upside down by over $3.5 billion. So I think it's pretty clear there's a cash deficit. The fact that I can't get a straight answer kind of indicates to me they know there's a cash deficit. They just don't want to do what's required under the law. Now, there's precedent for taking action in 2010 underneath that very same law and citing that law. Governor Gregor, in September of 2010, issued an executive order imposing those across-the-board cuts. And that was months before a legislative session. And there's actually a penalty under the law for failing to do so. It's a misdemeanor. So it's a a little bit interesting to have frequent conversations, rightfully so, from the governor about the importance of following the law for citizens. You'd like to think the law also matters for elected officials. We're talking with Jason Mercier with the Washington Policy Center here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. Now, Jason, um, we are being expected to follow the law, the mandates that the governor has laid out uh, during this coronavirus pandemic, even down to the uh, aspect of the governor threatening local businesses and residents alike into masking, in, into wearing masks and uh, other elements of his proclamations, but yet. It sounds like they're going to try to end around the same law or laws that they would like us at the same time to obey their proclamations. They're not even going to follow the state constitution in this situation or attempt to end around it. Well, there really is just no way around it. That The law doesn't provide it. It's a shall. It's the governor shall. Now, there is a legal avenue because it's an, a mandatory obligation. There's something called a writ of mandamus which can force elected officials to do their duty if they're refusing to do so. So it's an open-ended question. Is somebody going to file such a legal challenge? You know, another alternative, and it's never been done before to my knowledge, and that is under the Constitution, if the governor will not call the legislature into a special session, they can call themselves into a special session, but it requires a two-thirds vote. And the question is, since it's never been done, and if you're not in session, how do you hold that vote? Well, the first question is, are there two-thirds support for that? And then the second question is, what's the mechanism to call themselves back in? Well, our understanding, Jason, has been that the, but if the four corners of the legislature signed off on the legislative session, they could do such a thing. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously the easiest way to do that, because if you have leadership willing to take a vote of their members, and that's the vote to call themselves into a special session. If you have, let's say you have two-thirds legislative support, but 
among that they're not supporting is your legislative leadership. Well, how does that process work? So I want to go back to the writ of mandamus for a minute because it's not something you see employed very often. Uh, and usually if you're going to employ a writ of mandamus, you're also making the suggestion that whoever the elected official is that you are going to use this against is flagrantly flat out not doing their job, uh, at least in this prescri- pre- prescribed circumstance, which you know could then in turn lead to other accusations um, regarding the same situation. Who, for those, for, for those in our audience listening, who has the ability to file such a thing? And would this be something that you would file in your local court or you would file in a superior court or would have to go directly to um, a higher level in the state? If I were to mandamus, usually we'll start at the superior court and can be expedited to the state Supreme Court. And actually, we just had a state Supreme Court ruling yesterday on a writ of mandamus, and that was from uh, various attorneys for prisoners that were trying to get the governor to release them due to the COVID situation. And that was a 5-4 ruling, and the Supreme Court said that, no, this is not an appropriate use of a writ of mandamus because a writ is for a mandatory obligation. It means that there's no discretion in the decision-making, and the court found that underneath the governor's emergency powers, he had discretion in what he did, and he was exercising that discretion. So let's come back to that in a little bit, because that ruling has an impact on some of these other lawsuits happening with the emergency orders. But the court did reiterate that a proper use of a writ of mandamus is if an elected official is not executing a mandatory duty. And when you look at the state law, it's RCW 4388110, subsection 7. It says the governor shall. That is, there's no discretion in that. Interesting. And we'll see if that's something that somebody decides to employ. We're going to take a quick time out, come back with more with Jason Mercier with the Washington Policy Center. Here on the bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA. It is Friday afternoon. Got more on the way next hour. We'll talk with Franklin County Commissioner Brad Peck seeking re election, and we'll have the donkey of shame. Speak your piece. Call 509 547 1610. More of the bottom line presented by Summit Funding in Kennewick and Prosser on News Radio 610 KONA. Bottom line, News Radio 610 KONA, Friday afternoon. Contact Jason Hogue with American Family Insurance. If your business is reopened in this modified phase one and you're wondering with some of the modifications, If your business has all of the protections and its insurance policy that it needs, you can reach out to Jason via his website, jasonhoag.com. Have a conversation. While you're talking, you can check in on auto insurance. They're giving their auto premium holders or auto policy holders 10% off of their premiums for the rest of the year due to COVID-19. You can also talk to Jason about homeowners, life, and any other insurance that may fit your needs. Visit jasonhogue.com. Jason Hogue with American Family Insurance. Jason Mercier with the Washington Policy Center hanging out with us this Friday afternoon. Jason, uh, we we tend to get interesting news on uh, on Fridays. Uh, 
What are some of the things that you have on your radar right now? I know we talked in the last segment about the, uh, you know, the obvious need for a special session and the unwillingness to get into a special session. So some of these things can be uh, worked out because of the pandemic. What are some of the other things that you have on your radar? Well, two things that are, are going to be of interest to a lot of people with what the governor is doing with his continued rollbacks of economic freedom and, and possibly another shutdown is what's happening with the unemployment insurance situation. The insurance commissioner held a press conference yesterday uh, for Employment Security Department talking about the fact that on July 25th, so tomorrow, the additional $600 a week from the federal government for unemployment insurance expires. And at this point, Congress is not set to act this evening. So that, that uh, benefit will expire, depending on what Congress does in the coming weeks. And as you may recall, ESD has already had some trouble processing claims. There's still a huge backlog. There's still a big situation with fraud. But it was interesting to have that the commissioner yesterday implore the, the media to tell the public, please do not call ESD about that $600 benefit going away because they're already having a hard enough time just trying to process the initial claim. So that's something, unfortunately, for those who are receiving those uh, benefits are going to be aware of starting tomorrow and the fact that ESD is asking not to be contacted. But it is very likely in the coming weeks Congress will act to extend that. Um, And the reason why, again, that's important is just yesterday the governor once again issued new restrictions, is continuing to telegraph that more may be coming down the road, and I think what's most beyond the fact that the impact on individuals and employers, we got a taste of what reopening the economy looks like. This past month, revenue collections came in $200 million higher than just recently forecasted, almost 14% higher. And that was with a very limited reopening. So there's been concern that people are too scared to engage in economic activity that doesn't seem to indicate that. The indication from the tax collections are if the economy is allowed to function, those revenues will come back in. Well, one of the other things that uh, was recently released was uh, good numbers on the unemployment. Uh, as the economy starts to reopen in parts, uh, had another good um, week of lower unemployment claims, too, and that's got to be good news as well. It is, and unfortunately now we just have to wait to see what these new restrictions look like. I mean, for those of us who engage in family entertainment centers like bowling alleys, mini golf, places like Chuck E. Cheese, uh, what the governor's restrictions yesterday did by uh, prohibiting those from opening until Phase 4, I mean, who knows when Phase 4 will happen? And you have to wonder how many of these in businesses, and with the restaurants getting the new restrictions and now the wineries and bars as well, how many are still going to be in existence six months from now? And now the uh, focus is kind of turning towards uh, schools reopening. I know that that's, uh, that's a big thing for um, a lot of, on a lot of people's mind, even though we're not quite all the way through July yet. But uh, people are starting to look down the road and, you know, hey, we're not able to advance in the phase uh, reopening phases until the end at least until the end of this month and maybe longer that's another uh, point that the governor has kind of uh, indicated he might push that out as well yeah it is very clear both from the larger school districts and the announcement from the teachers union yesterday that parents should not expect school doors to be open it will be remote learning the question is what does that look like 
and should additional resources be provided directly to parents to provide additional education opportunities for their students. And there's an interesting announcement from the president yesterday. The president at his press conference said that if the schools are going to be closed, money needs to flow directly to the parents so they can pursue education opportunities for their children. And this could come into play in this new federal relief. You know, we talked about the unemployment insurance, but there's many more parts of this bill. There's funding for schools. There's perhaps another stimulus direct payment to citizens. And with the president's statement there about if schools are going to be closed, money needs to go to the parents, how does that get played into whatever Congress passes? Well, it'll be very interesting to see. I mean, we were discussing this a little bit yesterday, Jason, and, you know, if you don't go back to school, you're going to have some pretty big empty buildings with uh, not everything needing to be used, meaning not every aspect is going to have to be utilized, so on and so forth. It could actually lead to something called a tax rebate. Oh, my goodness. Something, of course, we'll never see, but... I was going to say, Rob, it's July 24th. It's not even first. I understand that. <laughs> However, I mean, I'm sure what they'll do, I'm sure they'll just turn around and feed that right to the unions. So, you know, we'll make them happy. Well, I mean, on a more serious note, and why it is so imperative to take budget action now is the longer we wait, the harder those savings are to achieve, and the more likelihood not you'll see tax relief, but you'll see substantial tax increases. Jason Mercier with the Washington Policy Center. We appreciate you joining us on this uh, Friday afternoon. And, uh, um, yeah, hopefully your your family and you stay uh, safe and well, and hopefully we can uh, have some better news to talk about next time we're able to connect. Yeah, I can't end on that sad note, so let's just celebrate the first place Mariners. <laughs> yes, go. we will. We will. They are at 1,000% right now. Well, maybe the one's not in front, but they're at 1,000% right now in our minds. Thanks for the call, Jason. Jason Mercier with the Washington Policy Center. Uh, more, you know, good information from Jason. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's tough because uh, the the state is like Jason mentioned. People want to spend their money, and they the people want to get the economy going again. And yes, there, you know, we're still dealing with the virus, but. You got to think that there's 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 a happy medium somewhere in there, but so far we haven't seen it. Look, we're going to be dealing with the virus. Okay, we're going to be dealing with the virus for months, and w- you can't expect people to stay in this holding pattern for months. It's going to go on, even when there's a vaccine, even when there's a, a proven treatment to reduce the viral load. We're going to be dealing with it, so you can't keep people in this same mode because you're afraid. You know, you get to a point in time where it's just got to be all right. We protect the most vulnerable and everybody else do the best you can to not get sick. Well, that'll do it for our number one here on the bottom line news radio 610 KONA. Our number two is just ahead and joining us will be Brad Peck running for re-election to the Franklin County Commissioners. You're listening to the Bottom Line News Radio 610 KONA.